like many of you, I found myself yesterday um, I found myself yesterday in some ways um, being glued to the television to see updates about what's happening in El Paso as a uh, death toll continue to climb um, and my heart sat heavy only to wake up this morning to additional news that there's another shooting in Dayton, Ohio it took even more lives um, I imagine today, uh, politicians and other folks will offer their thoughts and prayers. And not all, but many will do very little in terms of doing anything about this culture of violence that continues to wreak havoc in our country. I'm also aware that churches will perhaps pause and take a moment to pray. They may even quote scriptures like Habakkuk 1-2, which says, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Um, this morning, I want to do something. I, I want us to maybe envision for a second of maybe what God might say to us that may say or pray that. Say, God, do something. And here's maybe what I sense or hear God saying. How long will you keep calling to me for help and think that I'm not listening? I've heard you. And I've seen the violence. But it is you who do nothing. It's you did who nothing after Sandy Hook. It's you who did nothing after Orlando. It's you who did nothing after Columbine. It's you who did nothing after San Bernardino. And it's you who did nothing after Aurora. It's you who did nothing after Las Vegas. It's you who did nothing after Sutherland, Texas. It's you who've done nothing after school shooting, after school shooting, after school shooting, after school shooting across the country. It's you who tolerate the killings that happen on your streets every day. Many of, many shootings of those people you say, but those are my people. My people created in my image. It is I who cry out to you today, violence, and you do not save. You cry to me for mercy, but for whom and what does that mercy look like? You cry, come, Lord Jesus, but I came once to be the way and show you the way. And what would you have me do this time? You talk about your rights, but I didn't come to give you rights. 
You speak of your amendments, but I've spoken of my commandments. Do not murder. I've told you to love me with all of your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. And why do you cry, Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Now, I have a final question for you. It is the same question I asked Cain after he killed his brother Abel. What have you done? I have nothing against prayers and thoughts for victims and families. But I'm just wondering this morning, am I the only one that's sick and tired of offering prayers and thoughts and not doing anything about it? Am I the only one in our midst today who is sick and tired of hearing people offer thoughts and prayers? Is anybody with me this morning? Here's what we do. And I'm not offering solutions. Here's what we do. You and I go back to what anchors us. And I try and remind you every Sunday. We anchor ourselves in the truth of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And this morning, as Carlton and the worship team reminded us again and again and again, the gospel at least reminds us to do two things. Number one, it reminds us that as God's people, we don't look away, we don't anesthetize ourselves, we don't numb ourselves by distracting ourselves, but as God's people, we sit, we mourn, we lament, and we allow the pain and the anger and questions to wash over us without needing to fix it. We follow a suffering Savior, So for God's people, we don't walk out of here to distract ourselves. We don't want to think about the brokenness of this world. We sit and we mourn and we lament. Amen? And today, particularly today, you open your eyes and you open your ears and be with people who are hurting. Sit with them. Be with them. Lament with them. Mourn with them. Don't follow the American way. Follow the way of Jesus and sit with people who are hurting and confused and angry without offering solutions. Simply say, me too, I'm here. And secondly, please guard your heart against cynicism and fatalism. Please do not allow your heart to get hardened Am I speaking to anybody this morning? Please do not allow your heart to get cynical and hardened because the life, death, and resurrection reminds us that Jesus conquered Satan, sin, and death, and there is a day coming when injustice, evil, suffering will be no more. You and I cannot allow our hearts 
to become hardened with cynicism and fatalism because we need you to fight. We need you to be people of hope. We need you to stand in the midst of darkness and say, I will not give up because Jesus Christ reminded us that there is a day coming and we work today until that day comes for peace and for shalom. Can I get an amen? And so please lean even harder into the gospel today. And do not allow your heart to become hardened with cynicism and fatalism and remind yourself who it is that we serve. We need you, church, to be in the fight and not give up. And we will never do that unless we are grounded and anchored in the hope that is Christ. Pray with me. When we pray in a moment of silence, some of you wonder, why do we do this? I'll tell you why we do it at New Community. Number one, it is to simply sit and mourn and grieve and lament at the brokenness of the world and acknowledge it. Don't run from it. Acknowledge it. But even as we acknowledge the brokenness, the deep brokenness of the world that we live in, we lean into the gospel that reminds us that there is hope. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory won for us via the empty tomb. So we sit and listen and allow the spirit to speak and say, Lord, here is what I might be called to do. We allow God to speak that to our souls. So it is also, secondly, to listen. And then third, as the Spirit prompts, absolutely pray for the people, the victims, their families. Pray for this nation. Pray for our political leaders. Pray for anyone that can make an iota of difference in our world today. We pray with hope and expectation. That's why we offer this space. So I want to give you that time right now to do that as we come before the Lord.
God, I'm angry this morning. I feel hopeless this morning. I feel the weight of the brokenness of the world on my soul this morning. I feel the weight of the sadness and grief that's evident and present in this room this morning. And I don't want to run from it. I don't want to ignore it. I don't want to distract myself from it. I want, by your strength, the courage and the bravery to sit in and amongst the brokenness, God. And at the same time, I want God for your gospel. I need, no, I need your gospel, God, to minister to my soul this morning, to not stay there, but to see the work of Christ on the cross and to remind me, God, that there is work left to be done, not because I am great, but because of the work that you've already accomplished for us and for this broken world. And so, God, I need you to breathe my life with hope this morning. I need, God, my soul, God, to be breathed upon with hope this morning, God. I need that desperately this morning. I need somehow the courage and the bravery to not just see the brokenness, but to see the redemption and the healing that is possible in Jesus' name this morning. I need you to open my eyes to see that possibility this morning. And I pray for that for my people, for my family. Give us, God, a path forward. I have no idea what that looks like, but give us a path forward. Show us, teach us. Help us to be particularly sensitive today, God, to look around and see hurting people, broken people among us, God, and give us courage to do what you did, which is come into a broken world just to be, just to sit with, and ultimately to heal and redeem. Help us do that this morning, that which we sometimes cannot and are unable to do. In your name we pray. Amen. now, O my soul, for his love is my reward. Fear is gone and hope is sure. Christ is mine forevermore. Come on, put that up there. For rejoice now, my soul for his love is my reward 
be sure Christ is mine forevermore come rejoice now oh my soul for his love is my reward fear is gone and hope is sure Christ is mine And mine are keys to Zion City, where beside the King I walk. For there my heart has found its treasure, Christ is mine forevermore. And mine are keys to Zion City, where beside the King I walk. For there my heart has found its treasure, Christ is mine forevermore. Christ is mine forevermore. Christ is mine forevermore. wonderful opportunity to love on and to greet and to listen from and to be encouraged by two of my favorite people. Katie and Julio, where are you guys? I know you're here somewhere. Why don't you come on up and join me? Come on up. And as they come up, will you give them a big, big, big round of applause? Come on up. As we're getting settled here, I want you to look up to the screen, a short video of who they are and what they're up to. In 2017, 25 young adults from Covenant Churches of Colombia uh, came together to study uh, a certificate in peace and reconciliation. And as a result of that study, uh, the project Be Peace, Make Peace came, and now these youth are putting in practice what they learned to be a peacemaker. 
We're Katie and Julio Isasa, serving with the Covenant Church of Columbia, and it's a privilege for us to be able to partner with Be Peace, Make Peace. Um, it's been inspiring from the beginning to see how the training happened, uh, the program was developed, and now how it's being implemented uh, in the town of El Bagre, where lives are being transformed. The projects have three lines, uh, peace education, peace advocacy, and peace practices. And by putting in practice these three lines, the youth in El Bagre have been transforming life of not only children, youth, but also uh, the community where the church, the Covenant Church is located. to equip a new generation of youth and children who transform conflict in a non-violent way. Therefore, we, uh, we as a partnering with this project BPSBPS, we teach about how Jesus transformed conflict in a non-violent way. Uh, we also have been learning about Shalom, how peace is not only uh, has to do with non-violent, but also has to do with good relationship with God, with human beings, with the whole creation. So uh, youth have been learning about Shalom and they are sharing about Shalom and their communities. Hola, Jesse. Hola. Eh, la pregunta es, eh, ¿qué impacto ha tenido CEPAS en tu vida? What impact has CEPAS, Be Peace, Make Peace had in your life? Eh, CEPAS ha sido, para mi vida, a nivel personal, ha sido muy, eh, ha sido algo maravilloso. Be Peace, Make Peace in my life has been something wonderful. Me ha hecho cambiar como persona. It's changed me as a person. He cambiado muchos de mis pensamientos. It's changed a lot of my thoughts. Y muchas de mis acciones. And my actions as well. Es sorprendente ver el cambio que, que ha habido en mí porque eh, no soy el de antes. It's surprising to see the change that is happening in me because I'm not the same that I was before. Please pray for the leaders, the children, and the youth of the Be Peace, Make Peace project, that they would be ambassadors of God's shalom in their community. Thank you for your support and help us to continue partnering with the Covenant Churches in Colombia, especially with this project of Be Peace, Make Peace. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome, you guys. Welcome back to your church family. So good to see you. Katie uh, reminded me this morning as we briefly collected. I've known her since 1999. Can you? Is it on? It's on. It's on? It's on? Okay. 1999. I didn't turn it off. I didn't turn that off. 1999. There we go. Yeah. Because we were like 10 years old when we met. <laughs> I'm a little bit older. Okay, okay. 
Katie and I met at North Park <clears throat> University, where I worked um, for a brief period. And Katie was a senior, a senior at, at North Park. And uh, I still remember at the time, just as we were getting to know each other, and you shared your passion. She shared about her love for South America and and wanting to minister there, so on and so forth. And her dream and her vision eventually became reality, and she goes to Colombia and meets a dashing, handsome, fine young man by the name of Julio, and we'll get into a little bit of that. So for those of us that don't know who you guys are, tell us a little bit about your family. I know your kids are here. Sam's right there sitting on his phone. Sam's sitting there waving at everybody. Hey, Sam, if you're going to do that, you've got to do that right. So stand up, stand up, turn around, turn around, and wave. Yeah, yeah. All right. This is the beauty of having pastored this church. Is I remember holding Sam as an infant. Do you remember? Now they, were, they were remembering Ben has a baby book. And he said, this is the church. I have pictures of this church, and they're holding me. And I said, yeah, that's where you were dedicated when you were six months old. Yeah. So he has that in his book. So tell us a little bit okay. about your family. Katie. So yep. we are Katie and Julio, um, and we've been members of New Community since 2006. Um, when we came back from uh, Columbia, I had been down there doing short-term mission work, and we came back to Chicago to study, uh, to do a master's degree, and really connected with New Community. Um, our boys were born here, um, but really sensing the call of God to return to South America and serve. Um, so Sam is 11, Ben is now 9, um, and we returned to Columbia the beginning of 2012 to serve with the Covenant Church um, in a variety of different ways, but mainly with young adults, youth, and, and children. So we're back in the States briefly right now, which is why we're here. We're on a three-month home assignment, and we're in Chicago for this month, um, having some family time and, and getting to visit with, with ministry partners and supporting churches. I know the city you guys live in, because I've been able to visit six times, something like that, right, for a while. I was going every year to see you guys. Um, but tell us a little bit about the city that you live in, okay? And any particular things uh, that we need to know and why you love it so much. Uh, we live in the city of Medellin, which is, uh, is the second largest city of Colombia. It's about two million people, the city, and, and the metropolitan area is about four million. Uh, Medellin uh, in the 80s and 90s was known as the most dangerous city in the world because of drug and narco traffic and a lot of violence. But Medellin has changed a lot and is becoming the one of the most innovative city in the world right now. Uh, one of the things that we like about Medellin is the weather. Uh, it's 75 most of the time. Uh, they call the city the eternal spring. Uh, and in Colombia, something weird happened there in Colombia. We have, there are days where we have summer in the morning and winter in the afternoon. Means in the morning rains in the, or, or doesn't rain in the afternoon rain. So, it's, it's, so Medellin is like that. Uh, we live in the mountains. Um, it's a very high city. Uh, people is very nice. Uh, but uh, as a, every major city also have some conflicts. Uh, and uh, Peter liked to go there because of food, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> and you guys. I love you. I think it's more the food. No, it's... 
Yeah, it's a, it's a nice place to visit. Uh, it's a lot of young people that we work there too. Um, it's about 13 Covenant churches in the city of Medellin. Um, but we travel around Colombia. We live there, but because of ministry, we travel. We work with about 40 Covenant churches, so we travel to different cities of Colombia. So that, this is Medellin. Thank you so much for that, Julio. We always talk about how the DNA of new community was embedded in you guys, and the big part of our mission, and you need to know this and hear this, our whole desire is that whatever God has for you and wherever God wants to send you, that you would go as kingdom reconcilers, that as you get deeper reconciled to Christ, that you become reconcilers in the world. That has been at the core of who we are from the very beginning. And one of the things, Julio or Katie, either of you guys, that I was really struck by as I visited Colombia and got to know the history is how the history of Colombia as a country desperately needs to see this, this reconciling, shalom, universal flourishing, wholeness in every way, work that Christ accomplished for us on the cross that we talk about so much here. So tell us a little bit about the backdrop of maybe the history of the country and why the work that you guys are doing as peacemakers centered around this shalom is so critical. Okay, this is, uh, you see the map of Colombia there? Uh, so I want to try to, to briefly a little bit about the history of Colombia in two minutes. Um, Colombia was conquered by violence. That's the first thing. Uh, the Hispanics came and uh, they treat very bad uh, the, the indigenous people. They also brought uh, people from Africa, so they brought slaves. So we were conquered by violence. But also we were free through violence. Uh, and then when the country became a country, it was through violence too. Uh, we have two political parties, uh, uh, conservadores and liberales, and they, they did it through violence. Uh, we have about three years of some kind of peace, but in the uh, 1840s, uh, things were bad too. We have a civil war. Uh, and then the 90s, 48, uh, it was something very bad happened. That, uh, we have about 10 years of a lot of violence in the countryside. And then in the 60s, because the government was doing violence against farmers, uh, some farmers got together and they started something called, we call guerrillas or rebel groups. Uh, we began to fight with the governments. Then in the 80s, uh, some rich people who didn't want to have the rebels around there uh, they start something called paramilitar groups, which are groups who were fighting against the rebels, but they were supported by rich people and also by the governments in some areas. And they cause a lot of, uh, they kill a lot of innocent people in the countryside. Then we have the narco traffic, uh, it came alone. Uh, so people start sending drugs to the US uh, from the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and they become something that's uh, was a lot of money to support uh, violence in Colombia. So uh, I always try to say this, uh, a kilo of cocaine in Colombia is about $1,000, but in the U.S. it's about $40,000. From that $40,000, only 5000 come back to Colombia. The other 35000 stayed in the U.S. So somebody's making a lot of money there. And, and that, because of that, the, the violence in Colombia is still going on. Because of, through, through drugs, you make money, and through that money, you support violence. 
Since in the 90s, we started doing some kind of peace agreement with different groups. Uh, the government said we had to do something uh, with this group, and they started doing some peace agreements, which is, were good. But from those peace agreements, the rebels who became civilians, a lot of them were killed. Uh, so in Colombia, we had done about nine different peace agreements with different groups. But in some areas of Colombia, the things are the same. They have never changed. Um, and now in 2000, also, you still have paramilitar groups. And because of rebel paramilitar and the government, Colombia has a number that is one of my least favorite number. We are the country, in, the first country in the world who have more internally displaced people. It means farmers who used to live in the countryside because of the violence, they have to move to the cities. A, over um, a million people uh, have been displaced because of violence. Uh, and they're most of them civilians. So most of the civilians are the one who suffers the violence. So that's, this is what's going on in, in, in Colombia and the countryside. Uh, we did a peace agreement three years ago, one of the oldest rebel group, and we have a lot of hope of that. Uh, and it was good, but there are still, uh, still uh, some very hard areas of Colombia where because of you make a peace agreement with a group, but other group came out. Uh, and there's a lot of things going on around there. So this is a little bit about the history, and this is one of the reasons why we need Shalom in Colombia too. And we want to talk a little bit more about Shalom and, um, later, but this is a little bit of history. Mm -hmm. I think I would add the role of the, the church in all this. Uh, yeah. Julio referred to a, a period that was a lot of violence between the two political parties, and that was also very much tied to religion. Um, so you had Catholics and Protestants um, who were killing each other. Um, and so that created, um, obviously, distrust among people of different religious groups. Protestants were looked down on. They were considered the, the liberals. Um, and so there was still that kind of taste, although it's come a long ways and there's been some reconciliation. There, there's still this role of, of religion not quite knowing where they fit in, in the role of peacemaking. Um, and so you have a lot of churches who were um, founded with a very... Um, fundamentalist uh, mindset of, you know, let's save souls and let's get ready to go to heaven and kind of whatever else happens doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, so you have a lot of churches who are very inwardly focused because yeah. um, they're just trying to kind of survive the day to day. Yeah. Um, and so you have, you know, when we got back to Columbia after being in Chicago for many years and talking with the youth and talking about shalom and talking about how no, the gospel like permeates our life. It permeates who we are and what yes. we do and our identity. Yes. There was a disconnect yes. because that's not, that's not what they're hearing. Yeah. Um, you know, they're hearing more of the rules and the way that you live um, and the holiness aspect of things, but not so much, again, that, that it's this holistic mission that, yes. that God is calling us to. And I think there's a, an awakening. The Mennonites in Colombia mm. are amazing in the mm. work that they mm. do in the community. Um, and I think the covenant, we have 40 covenant churches in Colombia and over 25 social projects. Mm. So the mm. covenant is really committed to 
living out the gospel yes. in the community, um, which is why we're really, again, proud to be a part of what the covenant is doing, yes. because you just don't see that. Yes. Like how many churches are in El Bagre, Julio? About 40 churches different. And how many do you think are actively participating in the community? Just one. One. Mm. Mm. 40 yeah. churches. Mm. Yeah, they, they center, uh, they want people to come to church, but mm -hmm. they don't want the church to go out mm -hmm. to the people. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's some of the mindset that yeah. we've been that we've been working yeah. with through the years. I don't know about you, but my heart feels like it's gonna pop out of my chest as I hear about the work that they're doing. Anybody else? Yeah, it's just, I remember the first time I visited, and I think it was at a retreat, right? Spending time with the young adults, mm -hmm. and the hunger for the gospel, the hung, I mean, just the, just the desperation for the gospel. Hey, tell us a little bit about the impact that you're seeing in terms of the gospel that not only frees us from guilt and condemnation, but the gospel that frees us to do the work of God because we're propelled by love and prompted by grace. So, like, what are you seeing? I would like to talk a little bit about uh, Stephanie. Uh, it's, a, it's a girl that is from El Bagre. It's my hometown. Uh, I think it was one picture of her there. I don't know if you can see it. But it's uh, Stephanie, um, uh, I've known her since she was little. And she was part of a covenant church in my hometown. And I moved out of my hometown. And when I came back, I saw her again. She was older. And then she was part of the covenant, serving with the kids. But later in life, she made some mistakes. Uh, she had a baby. The baby is not a mistake. but. Uh, but according to the church, uh, she was married with somebody who was not part of the church, so she was kicked out of the church. And then uh, we came here to the U.S., and I came back to Colombia, and I saw her again, and, and the youth asked us to do something with peace and reconciliation. And they asked me to choose the youth who want to be part of this project, and I wanted to choose her. But she church, the church didn't want me to choose her because she was not a good Christian. And I said, but she can become a good Christian. Uh, and, and then she became part of this project. Uh, for a year, she studied with us about peace and reconciliation. And she found out that Jesus loved her, mm -hmm. even though she was kicked out of the church. That Jesus, that Jesus loved her just the way that she was. Yes. And then she was able to serve the Lord. And so she was trained, uh, she was equipped, and now she is taking the church out of the four walls. Wow. She's becoming a witness of shalom, not only with her personal life, mm -hmm. but she's impacting the whole community of El Bagre, the mm -hmm. town where she lives, 65,000 people, mm -hmm. especially youth. Mm -hmm. yeah. And yeah. for me, so, that's yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. She is an example yes. of somebody who understands what God's shalom means. Yes. This relationship with God, with herself, with each other, with the whole creation. Yes. And this is, she is a testimony of that. Yes. She is somebody who has a passion for that. I remember one night she called me and, and she said, Julio, this is a shooting in our neighborhood. Uh, Paramilitar group are shooting uh, and, and bullets come to my house. And she was crying. And she said, sometime I want to get out here. I'm just going to move to a different city, be in a calm place. But I know that God's called me to be here. Mm. And I want to stay here. Mm. Because I want to share God's shalom with my people. Uh, and so she is an example for me. I always tell her story. Mm. Because I know mm. she personally. 
And she is somebody who is making connection with youth in the city. She is somebody who goes, she's invited to different activities and she share. And she said, I'm here because I want the church to get out the four walls. And she's sharing the gospel, the shalom. And we clap to that. That's amazing. And I yeah. think, again, like Stephanie's story is one of yeah. many that we've seen. Um, uh, and Peter knows me well enough to know that I'm a, I'm a bit of a skeptic. <laughs> um, Julio's the dreamer in our family. Um, and I remember when we were going back to Colombia and he's dreaming of like the church has to be setting the way for peace. Yes. And we have to be equipping youth and we have to be doing these projects. And I was like, okay, sometimes this takes a long time. Yeah. You know, this is a process. Um, and so like literally in a year to see mobilization of youth across the country trained and then creating these projects saying, we, we have to do something. Um, seeing them in a place again, that's really still very, filled with conflict. I mean, there's violence all around them all the time. They were just a part of a peace march. Again, one church out of 40, theirs is the only one in the community that's, you know, saying mm -hmm. we want to be a part of this. Um, and to see the way that they've connected forgiveness, um, there was one of the guys in the program said to us, I never knew that there was any other way to resolve conflict except through violence. Like that is the norm. That's what we see. It's, it's revenge. It's, it's violence meets violence so that there is a way through dialogue, that there is a way through relationship to resolve conflict. It was mind blowing for him. He had just never seen that, never seen that lived out. And then lastly, the fact that um, there's 20, 25 youth, um, probably 10 of them are from the church and the rest are from the community. They're saying something is going on and we want to be a part of it. Like we're choosing not to go to the discotecas on Friday night because we want to go to a workshop on peacemaking. And again, people like Stephanie are like, this is mind blowing. I never thought that this was possible, but it's testimony to the hunger and that people want to be a part of change. They're tired of the violence. They're tired of living at odds with each other. They're tired of seeing their, their, the environment destroyed by the gold mining. They're, they're working to find ways to, to recover the land, to be able to grow crops again. Because again, mm. they're seeing this is shalom. This mm. is the gospel. Mm. There is something, there is a triangle that I have there. Um, uh, this triangle is, is very important. It's uh, John Paul Lederach. He's a Mennonite, he's a Christian. He's the top guy in peacemaking. He go around the world and he talk with governments and everything. And he make this triangle, and he say, "In peacemaking, there are three levels. Uh, one is uh, at the government level. Uh, one, and the other one is the middle level, where scholars, NMG organizations around the work, and also is the grassroots level, local people working. Yeah. And um, and in Colombia, this peace agreement has been done in the top level between government rebels and stuff." And also a lot of people write about peace and everything and in the middle level. But, but I think what happened in Colombia could be the same here is in the bottom level, from the bottom to the top, I think that's what we need to focus. I believe that chains come from the bottom to the top. And I believe that this is a biblical way to do it. Jesus, God, came down to earth 
to be with us, to work with us, to make shalom from the bottom to the top. And, and this is what these youth are doing. Because this peace agreement have happened in Colombia, but sometimes they stay there in paper. But this youth said, we need real transformation. Yeah. And we have to start doing it between us. Yeah. From the bottle to the top. Yeah. Yeah. And it's happening. Mm. It's slow, mm. but it's happening. Mm. Uh, mm. And, and mm. I believe that it's the same here. It had to happen. Uh, I've been reading about, about um, about history of the U.S., about history of racism and stuff, and how hard it has been. But I also have been reading about how people get together and they work hard to make transformations. Uh, and this is the biblical way, I think. Jesus began with 12, and, and here we are. You preach it now, Julio. <laughs> You preach it now. Careful, he won't stop. <laughs> <laughs> we, don't, we know that about Julio. You guys, how does the gospel that you love so much, how, did, how does it motivate you? Share a little bit about your own personal journey, your own personal story. It's clear to us that you guys have passion for this, for your country and your people. Why is the gospel so important for your work? How is it at work in your life that prompts you to do what you do? I would say, um, you know, there's, there's a passage in scripture that I keep coming back to over and over again, and it's 2 Corinthians 5. Yes. Um, and I remember, I remember actually probably in the time that we were living in Chicago and, and wrestling kind of with God, was he calling us to go and serve in another place? Um, and again, peacemaking is not easy, it's not safe, it's not comfortable. Um, and at times it's dangerous. And so really struggling through that. And God kept bringing me back to this passage which talks about um, that we are, we are compelled by love, yes. by the love of God, because we know that one has died for all um, and therefore all have died. And that now we who live, live not for ourselves, right. but for the one who died and That's rose right. again. That's and right. that he has reconciled us to give us the ministry of reconciliation. And so my life is not my own. I mean, I've, I truly believe that God has saved me, God has redeemed me, God has formed me and is transforming me to be a reconciler. Um, and so whether that's in Chicago, when we lived in Chicago working with immigrants and refugees, whether it's in Colombia working with youth. Um, and again, there are times when I feel hopeless. Yes. You know, I mean, yes. the news in Colombia, the news in the US, it is just dark. Um, and so there are times when, again, Julio has to remind me, but look at Stephanie, yes. look at Yasid, look at uh, Katri, um, like little seeds, little works, people's lives are being transformed. And just daily, daily knowing that I have to abide in Christ. Yes. I have to abide in Christ yes. so that he can continue the reconciling work in me yes. so that I can do it um, with others. Yes. Good stuff, I think for me is, uh, I believe in the power of the gospel. Yes. Uh, I believe uh, this power is, uh, is so powerful that I cannot contain it. Yeah. But also have to do with my personal history of uh, being a Colombian. Uh, my parents were displaced. Uh, they lost everything. And, 
and so I know this personal story, and I know there is the, is the story of a million people in Colombia. Uh, and I know uh, that that can be changed, uh, that can be transformed. Uh, and I have been, and I read, and, and I, I go spend time with people, and I read, I go spend time with people. And, and I was reading something these past months about this guy, John Paul Lederach, uh, which is a Christian. And for me, it's, it's amazing because he's a Christian, and he goes to around the world about peace and everything. And he writes mostly to non-Christian. But I found a book that he wrote to Christian, and he, he said something that, well, for me, was, has been is, is, is more inspiring. Uh, this is the story in Matthew when uh, it says that if you have a problem with somebody, you call some, call and go to the person, talk to that person, and, and try to reconcile. But if the person doesn't listen to you, uh, call two or more or three, and then you uh, try to talk to the person. If the person doesn't reconcile, talk, talk to the church. Uh, and, and he said, you tell the church so the church will help to reconcile. But if it doesn't happen, treat him as a pagan or as a tax collector. And he said, but we have to look through Jesus. How did Jesus treat pagans and tax collectors? He eat with them. He eat with them. He didn't reject them. And that for me, if I, a, a ambassador of the gospel, I need to do that too. Yeah. Uh, and then in Colombia, as Katie said, it's not easy because you find very hard stories. Uh, mothers who, in Colombia we have about 60,000 people who we, we don't know where they are, their bodies, we don't know where they are. And mothers are crying, looking for them. Very hard stories. But you see also mothers who have come and, and embraced those people who have killed their kids. And sometimes they are not Christians. And the sad part is that we see Christians doing differently. <laughs> but I believe in the power of the gospel. And one of the most powerful things about the gospel is this idea of forgiveness. Yes. Uh, I always remember this when Jesus was on the cross, I always tell this to my friends, like when Jesus was on the cross, he could have said to the people who was killing them, see what you're doing to me right now, in three days I'm going to be alive again, so this is going to happen to you, you, know, you don't know what is going to happen to you, uh, but I'm going to revenge to you. But he didn't say that. When he was on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them because they didn't know what they are doing. And for me, that is powerful. And this is the gospel that I'm calling to live, preach, yes. and share with everyone. And that's that motivate me. Uh, personal life, but also the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> so good, so good. Before I ask how we could pray for you, this is your church family. And I've always envisioned Julio and Katie, Acts 11, as the, as the church in Antioch sent out Barnabas, remember, and Paul. We've always, for me, I've envisioned you guys being our missionaries and witnesses that we've sent out. But everywhere they went, they would come back to their churches, right? And Paul would write letters to the churches, exhorting the churches and encouraging them. This is your church family. So you're, 
Think of it as you're writing a letter to your church family, but you get to do it in person. What would you say to your church family as you guys head back to Columbia? What encouragement, what exhortation? I would say know that you are missed. <laughs> um, we deeply miss being a part of this community when we are gone. Um, I don't think you know how good you have it until you don't have it. Um, so love one another, um, grow together, um, challenge one another, learn from each other. Um, I love hearing and seeing what you're doing with the children. Let the children lead you and teach you. Um, we, we truly, truly consider ourselves to be a part of you, um, and we really do miss being here as much as we, we love the work and the church in Columbia. Just walking through the doors today, just my, my heart felt good. My, mm -hmm. my soul felt good. I felt at home. Mm -hmm. um, so I just would say keep, keep up the work that you are doing, the hard, hard work that you are doing as a church community uh, in this city. Um, it's not easy to come back to Chicago either. We're aware of the realities. You know, people are always like, oh, isn't it so dangerous in Columbia? It's like, uh. I don't know, I'm a little more scared to go back to Chicago in the U.S., to be honest. Um, so we know that, that it is not easy that you come up against challenges. And so I just thank God um, that we are rooted uh, in Him, that we are rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I would just ask for your prayers. Don't forget us uh, when we leave. We really, really, truly need your prayers, um, that we would not be discouraged. Um, because there is a lot that we come up against, even yes. from the church, even yes. from the church. Um, so pray that, pray that more and more youth, um, again, would, would be awakened to the gospel, that they would be equipped, and that they would lead the way um, for the church and for the country of Columbia. Pray for our boys, um, again, as this back and forth is home Columbia, is home the United States. Um, where are we sleeping tomorrow night? Where, what are we eating? What's happening? It can be tiring and it can be challenging for them. So pray for us as a family that when there is no routine, um, we would still cling to one another and love each other and practice forgiveness with one another. Yes. Um, I think those are my, my biggest prayer requests. Thank you, Katie. Julio? I think my, my, my challenge to the church is... Uh, and, and I believe that. I believe that the church is the hope for the world. Uh, but the church, uh, the Christ church, uh, uh, I believe that Jesus still believes in us. Uh, and when we see what, what happened in, in El Paso, Texas, uh, what happened in other part, I always remind me that uh, Jesus still believes in us as a church, but we need to, to, to take his mission out, uh, to take his shalom out. Uh, so my challenge is to not to give up, but be the church wherever you are. Be the church. Uh, uh, and, and this is, is for me to... Uh, and this is what I tell the people in Colombia, be the church wherever you are, be the church wherever you are. And, uh, and I ask to pray for our family, uh, pray for uh, youth in my hometown especially. Uh, and I believe that they are engaging something big. 
something big. Uh, it's a big dream that I have <laughs> uh, to transform a whole region who have experienced violence for a long time. Mm. Uh, and they have been asked mm. to go to other cities to start this project. Mm. Mm. So they are engaging in something big. They even don't know where, how big is that. But I pray that God would protect them because suddenly uh, people who are doing this have been killed. Mm. So, so I pray uh, so God will protect them. But if something happened to one of them, they would don't give up. Because it could happen, uh, but they are sharing God's shalom yeah. in, in a very deep way, so yeah. pray for them. Yeah. And pray for us so that we can be with them. Yeah. They know how to do it, we're just being with them. Yeah. So pray for them. Mm -hmm. Thank you both. Thank you both so much. Um, what I'd like to do is, and please remember that right after this, there's a luncheon. I want to invite you guys so they could hear more of what they're up to and ways for us to engage. At this time, are you guys okay if I invited folks that might feel prompted and led maybe to join us on stage to do this very biblical thing of laying on of hands so that we could pray for you? So I'd like to do that at this time. I know that there's some folks in here that are part of the missions team that have known Kelly and Julio for a while, but if there's anybody else that would like to join us, come on up, come on up on stage. I'm gonna give, it's about a minute or so for anyone to join us if you felt prompted or led, inspired by what they shared to pray for this couple. Uh, I wanna ask you to kind of join us on stage. Come on, right here, right here. Anybody else, please? Don't hesitate, don't be embarrassed. Come on up and join us here. Okay, I want you guys sit right here. Sam, come on up. Come on up, buddy. Okay, go ahead and just surround them. Put your hands on them. Okay. And worship team, if you guys can come on up and, and, and get ready. I want to pray and then, uh, yeah, you. you. So church, before I pray for our dear brother and sister, I want to give you an opportunity for those of you that are sitting out there as well as up here just to listen to the Spirit and as the Spirit prompts or leads in your, in your own heart, just offer up prayers in your own heart, offer up prayers for our dear brother and sister. Yeah. They've shared a number of things, you guys, so be attentive to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit leads and prompts you. Pray in your heart for them. Jesus. 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 Father, we love, we love Katie, Julio, Sam, and Ben. We love them. We have deep affection for them. We think about them. We pray for them, God. We remember them. Help them to know that this church family is for them, is with them. 
cheering them on from a distance. What a joy and a blessing it is, God, to see them and to physically touch them and to be here in the midst of their family, God, to be able to hear their stories and the amazing things they're doing. God, I thank you that their heart loves you. I thank you that their heart loves Jesus and their deep affection for you and the way that they're being impacted by the gospel that can't help but overflow to others. God, it's so clear to me that even if they wanted to contain it, they can't. As Katie mentioned, he did this for me. How could I not do it for others? And as they live their lives, God, out as reconcile people to be reconcilers, to see the peace and prosperity of the city that they live, to see the shalom, the flourishing of God upon all creation. We pray as they ask God for courage, for bravery, God, for unconditional love, God. May they, God, be the instruments and vessels, God, that will shine a light in that sphere of the world that will spread and spread and spread and spread to the rest of the country and to the rest of this world. May the good work that they are doing be like a small mustard seed that is planted, just like the kingdom that starts small and yet grows and grows and grows. Give them that image and that picture to keep going when hard times hit. Keep going when disappointment, discouragement might derail them, Lord. And the people that they're ministering to, Lord, will you continue to give them not just the energy and strength, but wisdom to minister well. We pray for all the projects that are being launched. May they be spirit-filled. May they draw not just followers of Jesus, but people that don't even know you, God, that through that, that they would come to know you, Lord. We pray for the church in Colombia. Wake the church up, God. Wake the church up, God. Wake us up, God, from our slumber and call us to join you in this radical work that you're about. Bring a true renewal, God, in the church in Colombia that they may lead the way. And these hands that are being laid, God, may we be attentive to see what else you might be calling us to do us as a church to join them. Give us, God, insight and wisdom, Lord. And thank you most of all that you are our hope, that you are our anchor, that you are our center, that you are the foundation upon which we stand. Where would we be without you? What would we do without you? You are our hope, our all in all. May that truth that Julio and Katie know so well continue to be their motivation and their hope. And we send them out, God, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Empower them, encourage them, inspire them, fill them, renew them. Help them to be the church. Help them to be the church. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. Will you stand, church, as we sing this final song? We sing it over us as a song of benediction. We sing it over each other as a song of benediction. We sing it out into the world. We sing it unto our God.
this heavy load was never mine to bear so i cast my cares upon you lord this weary road i've traveled for so long would you take my hand and lead me on you are working all things for my good are working all things for my good when I cannot see it Lord I still believe it you are working 